we need a national imagination strategy and we need it really, really fast yeah, yeah. because because if we can't imagine our way out of this, then we're toast. This is The Green Pill, a podcast about the planet and the surprisingly diverse people working to fix it. I'm your host, Chris Newman, a medical doctor and environmentalist from London. I guess, I guess for me, my the, my the first real big influence for me was punk. Actually, when I was about fourteen, and uh, absolutely blew me away. And and particularly, I I loved that, and I've always loved that kind of do-it-yourself culture. You know, the the, the I think it was. Scritty Politi or some band, the first record they did, they put on the sleeve exactly all the information you would need to make your own, where we got the sleeves from, they cost 20p each, where we got the mastering done, where we got there, and then we went down here and then they printed, you know, so they gave you everything you needed to know. So if you didn't like the music, make your own. And there was a very famous fanzine page at the time that showed you how to play three chords on a guitar and said, here are three chords, now form a band. And I think that kind of spirit is something I've always really looked for. So later when I was a permaculture teacher, I was always interested in ways to to, to communicate this stuff in a way that's really straightforward it's not that hard I had a friend who used to teach cob building courses that we used to host but like building houses out of clay you know? and he used to do a, a module called a course a bit on the course called foundations in 10 minutes where he said it's not that complicated I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about foundations in a minute start the clock you know and so for me I've always loved that that kind of thing so I guess my that, that was my first real influence really was punk and then uh, I've been in, influenced by different things, well, just by Buddhism, I guess, a bit, and permaculture was a big, big influence on me. Uh, and then the sort of localization movements, and there's a long list. In, in all the book, you, you mentioned the different books, all the yeah, books yeah. that I write at the beginning, I always was very inspired by that thing in hip hop culture on album sleeves where people put endless like uh, uh, listings of all the people who've inspired them. And I yeah. do that as well. So there's always a long list of the people who really inspired me while I was creating that particular book at the time. Yeah, I think when we started doing Transition, we initially, in the very first book I wrote called The Transition Handbook, which was when we were still really floundering around trying to figure out what this thing was that we'd started that was multiplying all over <laughs> the place. And we were sort of running after it, trying to catch up with it, trying to figure out what is this thing. And and and, and so we had we put a thing in the first book that we called The 12 Steps of Transition because we quite liked that 
that kind of uh, parallel. It's like with, AA, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, with actually how do we break our oil addiction where we mm. use these 12 steps. But then actually what we found after a couple of years was people weren't really using it like that. Mm. And actually there was a lot more to it than that. So in the, the second book I did, which is called The Transition Companion, that was much more a kind of um, said that actually transitions like cooking. And there's a whole load of ingredients that you use when you cook. And every mm. one of those ingredients is something that we've seen transition groups do enough times mm. to think, yeah, that works. That feels like that's a part of it. But we're not saying prescriptively, you do one, two, three, four, and you work your way through. It's like saying you're going into the pantry. You want to cook something extraordinary that reflects the culture and the magic of the place where you live. Okay, so you choose and you arrange them in the way that, 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 that you feel you need to. Mm. And that feels much, much more reflective of what group's doing. I, I go to visit lots of different transition groups in lots of different places and they're all doing something that's recognizably transition but they're doing it in their own way and sometimes they're adding in ingredients that I'd never even thought of you know mm. you think that's smart that's really good that yeah, works yeah. so I love for me transition has always been uh, an experiment a sort of self-organizing experiment and uh, and that's what I love about it that, that you know is, if it was like a coca-cola franchise where we were dashing around saying right you have to do this you have to do that it would lose all of that sort of self-emergent delight mm. that comes out of a movement yeah, where you yeah. just let it do what it wants to do yeah so you've you've kind of shown people to take the metaphor a bit further you've kind of shown people what the ingredients are and they've gone and made pad thai or pizza or <laughs> yeah, whatever that, with them yeah well yeah and I, I always remember about eight years ago so I became a, a an Ashoka fellow I was the thing where you get recognized as being a social entrepreneur and uh, then so this other group of people who support social entrepreneurs rang me up and said you are a social entrepreneur and uh, we'd like you to come in where they were based in London and they were all like people who'd done well in business and mm. so they were like we'd like you to come and give a 15 minute presentation and if we like what you do then we'll offer you help in different ways with marketing or whatever so came up to London did this presentation after 15 minutes I finished my talk long silence and then this guy goes so what you've done is create a really powerful brand and then giving it away for free to people <laughs> all over the world over whom you have absolutely no control whatsoever I said, yeah, that's absolutely what we've done. And he couldn't get his head around it at all. He was like, but where's the, where's the IP? Where's the, where's the bit that you, you, that you hang on to and that you make money out of? And what's your, what's your franchise model? And I'm like, there is no franchise model. The franchise model is these are times that desperately need people to be stepping up and doing yeah. stuff and not waiting for anyone's permission. And actually we give people the resources and the tools and the network and we say it's all free. You just take it and do with it. The only commitment is that you share your stories. Yeah. So I often like to think of the transition movement as a network of storytelling, a yeah. kind of a web of people who are t telling stories about what they're doing. Yeah. So the stories are like helping to fuel the imagination of people who are interested and then they take their imagination and just go with it wherever it takes them. Yeah, because I, I, I think as people, we we are drawn to uh, stories of people like us who do amazing things mm. and they're not perfect. And, and, and there's, you know, the, the kind of the drama and the tensions of actually trying to keep these things going. And when you come up against challenges and conflicts and people who mm. don't want it to happen and, uh, and then you still do it. And, you know, those are, those are the stories that I love and I'm always kind of looking out for those. And, and also the, uh, like I was in, I was in Brussels last week, and they've just launched a local currency for the city of Brussels, mm. and uh, 
they so in in my town we did a the Tottenham pound where we have a twenty one pound note. You know, people always say, "Why do you have a twenty one pound note?" We say, "Well, why not? Because you can. You do what you like, really." Who says you just have to have one, five, ten, twenty, fifty denominations? I was in Belgium the other day. There was a town that's starting a local currency. The denominations are one, three, ten, and thirty. Like, well, why not? Anyway, in, in Brussels they they're doing a as one of their notes is a zero note. So why have you got a zero note? And they said, well, because, you know, sometimes somebody does something nice for you and you want to acknowledge that and say thank you, but you don't want to put a value on it because that feels a little bit like a bit strange, but you just want to say, yeah, cheers, that was great. So you just want to give them a zero note. That's lovely. I, thought, oh, I really a lovely like idea. So, so, you know, that, 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 there's something for me about transition where that's then a story I can take to other places. And, you know, that's kind of how we cross-pollinate these whole, the, all, all of these different things in different parts of the world. Yeah, I, I love that zero pound note idea. It's, it's, it's like when someone's done something for you, you want to acknowledge it, but not make it look like you've bought it. Yeah, it's like, oh, you've, you, thank you. You've done five pounds worth of nice thing for me. Yeah. Well, I just did it because that's what friends do for each other. Yeah, but I really valued it. Here you go, you know. Yeah. Pass it on to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I do you a favour, you pass it on. Like, yeah, the, pass pass it on. like the pay it forward yeah, exactly. kind of movement. So this, the idea of this whole um, brand of transition maybe that's not the word you'd want to put on it. I'm guessing it probably isn't. But is there any, um, is it just like you have a set of principles and let it run and anyone can take on that name as it were? There is a there is a very loose process for becoming mm. an official transition town, yeah. which is really just a way of us ensuring that, that it's not just the work of one very excited person. Because yeah. sometimes in the beginning, <laughs> hey, yes, I'm transitioned somewhere or other. Uh, it's just you, isn't it? <laughs> transition yeah, yeah. Bob. Yeah, it's just transition Bob, yeah. It's like, it's just you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but I'm hoping to find other people. Well, maybe when you've got some more people, then, you know. So there's, there's things like that and and trying to, there's a few little things, but basically it's it's pretty low touch. And yeah. uh, and then we we have a, a like a, on the website, there's a map of the world where you, you put where mm. you are in and it shows you all the stuff that's happening around where you are. Yeah. So let's say, Bob did want to take his idea and run with it yeah. and want, and thought, you know, I want to take on the principles of the transition movement. What would he do next? He would, um, he might do various things. So he would certainly have a conversation with friends and uh, see if anybody else was interested. He might organise a screening of a film, organise a public event. He would certainly look on the map and see what's already happening around where mm. he is. And he would then... Um, you know, just sort of checking with those people. Well, what are you doing in my in my next neighbourhood or in the next town or mm. you know what's already going on? Uh, he would organise some kind of big public event, maybe show a film, have a speaker, and then at the end of it, say, "This is what I'd like to do. Would anybody else like to help?" Mm. You know, when, I remember when uh, the early days of Transition Bristol. One of the things we did was they, they did a big public event. So there's maybe 300 people came along. I think I gave a talk. It's so about 300 people came along. So then we did a thing where you push all the chairs to one side and then you say that end of the room is north, south, east, west. Organize yourselves by talking to each other. Like the middle of the room is the center of Bristol. <laughs> so arrange yourselves geographically in terms of where you are in relation to each other. So then all the people in the east of Bristol go over to the east bit and the people who are like, I've actually cycled over from Bath or over in the corner of the room. And you get this sort of self-organized map of all the people in Bristol. Then you say, okay, look around you. Those people who are still closest to you are the people you can do transition with in your part of Bristol. Swap your phone numbers, swap your email addresses. And out of activities like that, then that's how those neighborhood sort of initiatives get started. That is that is beautiful. I've never heard an idea quite this 
pure that's amazing it's a really lovely way of doing yeah. it I did a thing in France recently where where, where in a, in a, I gave a talk in a theatre and people came into a big lobby before they went into the theatre so we shut the doors of the theatre and they all came into the lobby waiting to come in and then we did got them to do exactly the same thing there okay. before they came in map yourselves north, south, east, west meet the people around you those are the people people really loved it you know there is something that you know I, there's a, the, a, for me a lot of what really uh, distinguishes transition is the attention that it pays mm. to how we do things as much yeah, as what we yeah. do so we call it inner transition or you know that that idea that transition is not just about solar panels and carrots mm. it's about how we work <laughs> together and how we design events that people want to come back to the next mm. one of how do we manage conflicts how do we make decisions in a way that that uh, that, that really works you know how mm. do we how do we do all of that stuff? So, so there's lots of those mm. activities and tools that, that we've developed over the years. Mm. Like we call that mapping. So you can also use that. You've got a room full of people. You yeah. can also use it to get a real snapshot of, of, of who's in the room. So you might say, okay, uh, we'd like you to organize yourself into a line with the oldest people at one and the youngest people at the other end. So you mm. get this whole age spectrum. And then you can do a thing where you get one end of the room to speak to the other. As the oldest oh, yeah, person yeah, in this yeah. room... Uh, how, how does it feel to have such young mm. people here and what would your message be to them and for the youngest people you've just started coming into this movement what words would you like to say to people at the other end or or you could say you could say on on, on an issue you know how how concerned are you about climate change i can't sleep at that end of the room i don't give a shit at the other end of the room and then you get a mapping of, of how of that you know it's you get but it's you people are moving around and talking yeah. to each other rather than all just sitting in rows yeah. filling out forms you know? exactly because it's it's got to be fun or no one will do it and that kind of social engineering or whatever, however you want to describe it is a great way of getting people just over that initial inertia ba uh, barrier. Yeah, I, th I think that's been fundamental to transition from the beginning is, is, that, it, is that it should feel, I remember on the, f on the first book, mm -hmm. the guy who wrote the forward said transition feels more like a party than a protest march. And, and I think for me, it's always been, you know, it should, it should be fun. Yeah. And uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't be fun. And, and we should be, uh, for me, the, the, the bits of transition that interest me the most are the bits when people organize events that, that include a lot of beauty and a lot mm. of art and music. And uh, in Tooting in London, Transition Town Tooting have an amazing group of people who put on these events mm. that are really sort of theatrical, street carnivals, mm. uh, that, but, but that are all about transition. They did a thing called, in 2008, called the trash catchers carnival that was a massive street carnival yeah. uh, where they used something like half a million old plastic bags and stuff to make all these different animatronic figures and they were the first transition wow. project to be funded by the arts council but they but the, 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 all the events they organize are really theatrical and beautiful and fun and playful and i think that's a great spirit to do these things in yeah wow um and obviously like you mentioned at the start you kind of just along with collaborating with other people, you imagine this idea and let it go. And you probably would never have, at the start, if you'd have been the top-down management style, you would never have got half a million plastic bags and no. made some animatronics. Or had zero pound notes in, in <laughs> Brussels. Or, or had, uh, uh, yeah, people start transition groups on the side of Japanese mountains or turn up, turn up in Japanese villages that have been washed away by the tsunami with portable energy systems from their community mm. energy company to enable them to run yeah. festivals or uh, in Christchurch where they had an earthquake in New Zealand that actually the time bank that had been set up by the transition group the, the, the networks they created through the time banks after the earthquake were when the emergency responders came that and those networks were there for them to tap into yeah. you know so actually 
um, it's the thing I love is, is, is that, is that it constantly is fascinating yeah. and, uh, you know, there's not a week goes past when we're not like, wow, look what they're doing there. Wow. Look what they're doing here. And because I do quite a lot of traveling around to go and visit different transition groups in different places, it's always really fascinating that, that thing of, because people associate me with why they did it in the first place, mm. there's something really lovely about being taken to see all of these different projects. And I go to see some amazing projects in schools and community food growing projects and uh, all sorts of stuff that people have started through that inspiration from transition. Yeah. And I know you're a very humble chap, but it must make you feel incredibly proud to see all this stuff. Well, it's what an incredible privilege. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. actually, you know, I feel like there's loads of people who have ideas. There's nothing particularly special about me or mm. ideas that I have. Or, or for me, you know, for me, there was something about what we did that, that really captured people at that time, which I think was that, mm. you know, around 2005, 2006, a lot of people were really becoming aware of, of climate change, the implications of it. And thinking, well, what do we do? You know, if we, if we wait for the government, we'll be waiting forever. We haven't got the time yeah. to wait for the government. If, if I try and do it, I, can, I know all the stuff I can do, my light bulbs and my insulation, and I've done all that stuff, but it's not really making much of a difference. So maybe there's a bit in the middle mm. with the people around me. Uh, it kind of felt like there was something about that kind of invitation. Yeah. Because, all, because the other stuff that was around at the time was all these great hairy guys in North America <laughs> who were like, I'm heading up into the mountains with four years worth of baked beans, toilet paper and small firearms. <laughs> as if that was some kind of a response. You know, there were a lot of, maybe not quite as extreme, but there were lots of people I knew who were like, I'm moving to New Zealand or yeah. you know, I'm moving. And there was that kind of very fear-based, I need to protect me and mine. I'm taking yeah, my kids yeah. and we bought a little farm in the Dordogne or something, you know. But actually for me, I always felt like if there's going to be a way through this, it's going to be about staying yeah. here and actually and actually connecting and bringing people together that actually if we look at climate change through a different lens it's actually a historic opportunity to mm. rethink everything Naomi Klein always says there are no non-radical solutions left yeah. so actually if I'm 18 now I'm looking at that and thinking what an extraordinary time to yeah, be alive yeah. and uh, I, you know I did a talk the other day in um, Belgium somewhere and there was a woman who asked a question she, she was a teacher in the engineering department in the university she said I'm teaching all these all these kids engineering, but I'm I, I'm aware that this is a, a of, of climate change. You know what what do you advise I do? And I said actually, you know maybe in your department on your course you declare a climate emergency. Mm. You say this is now a course. This is an engineering course mm. being taught through the lens of that we now live in a time of climate emergency. I said that would be the most amazing engineering course. You know, imagine, imagine, like, you, or if you could do anything, anything, you do an English literature course in yeah. the context of as a climate emergency, how, what would you do differently? Yeah. You know, you would still be learning all the basics about English literature, you know, but you would be having a really focused, applied, you would feel like you were part of something that was really relevant and mm. historic and timely. And you could kind of rethink everything. I'm, I'm always very inspired by the, you're asking about influences. I'm always very yeah. inspired by the, by the, the revolutions in Paris in 1968. Where they killed everyone? Uh, no, the, 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 the oh, student. Oh, sorry, the, the student ones. The student sorry. revolutions. I don't think <laughs> anyone got killed. Well, actually, a couple of people got killed by the police. But they, but, but, that, but that, that was an extraordinary sort of a, um, flourishing of imagination. And, and, mm. and you know, they... Uh, hang on, what was I talking about them? Uh, I've lost my thread now. Uh, I think I distracted you by uh, linking oh, yeah, yeah, it to yeah. the French Revolution. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah about two hundred years <laughs> earlier. Um, 
uh, that actually people said that, that during those couple of months of, of the stuff in, in Paris in 1968, they said you learned more than you did in your five years of your degree mm. because you were, because you were, people were talking to each other all the time. The streets were full of people mm. debating ideas and having conversations. And, you know, f there's something about if you declare a climate emergency, then everything becomes possible. You know, mm. Then in the same way that if you, that the imagination flourishes when you put limits around Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. Because otherwise it's like just having, typing nothing into a Google search and hoping you're going to find something. <laughs> Whereas when you put limits around it, whether it's a haiku or whether it's the, the kind of, um, the, the form of, of, of rap or that kind of thing, you know, that really invites the, the, the imagination. So, so for me, there's no, re when you declare a climate emergency, then everything becomes possible. Yeah. It's like saying, it's like that old school teacher story about saying to the kids, write about the world and they can't write about the England and it's difficult and then write about this brick on that wall right there and they can go and create something quite interesting. Or Dr. Seuss writing a book with five, with 50 words. <clears throat> oh, wow. Yeah. You know, that's, that's quite like, it can, there's, there's an activity I do sometimes when I do public talks where we, where I say, okay, what we need at the moment, what we really need at the moment is stories of how it turned out okay. Mm. And stories about what, about how transition happened and what happened. Mm. And uh, there's no, no one say what, if it's the right story, it'll exactly turn out like that, but we need to cultivate the art of telling the stories. So we're going to do that now as a group, but we're going to use the constraint of the alphabet. Mm. We're not just going to do like a white, yeah. you know, actually, and that's a really useful thing. So you go, okay, there was somebody called and you get people to shout out, okay, Alan, Alan, where did Alan live? Alan lived in Belsize Park. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and what was Alan's job? He was a catering manager. Okay. He was a catering manager. Okay. And he was obsessed with dogs. <laughs> yeah. He had posters and what, and you tell this ridiculous story about how he gets started and who he meets. And then he puts posters up around in Belsize Park. And what does it say on the posters? And then all the, who came to their first meeting and what projects does, did they decide to do all just from suggestions from the audience and it's so much fun and so stupid yeah. and the story is completely ridiculous but you say well you know i've i've seen more ridiculous stories in the transition movement of how, <laughs> what people did and how they got started but there is something about involving people in the process of making yeah. up the stories that's really powerful i think yeah it's almost you say the 50 word thing i was my instant thought was twitter like 140, like, you know, so, solve the world in 140 characters? 100, 280 now. Oh, 280. They doubled it, yeah. Oh, okay. To I do Donald like Donald Trump to be even more toxic, twice as toxic as he was before. <laughs> yeah. You were, um, the, this idea of collaboration is something that's really fascinating because in my world, as a GP, there's lots of loneliness and social mm. isolation and um, for multiple reasons. And it's, it's really nice to see this idea of uh, of little communities coming together. And there's a, a bit of a government, there was a recent government uh, paper, I think it was October last year, about trying to figure out loneliness because it's a, it's a killer. Mm, it's like smoking 15 cigarettes yeah, a day yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, and we're pushed a little bit. Uh, we're suggested that we think, consider something called social prescribing, where mm. we help... Um, people in the community know what is going on and I, I'd, I'd love to see a world where sort of my my world and your world can kind of link up somehow totally I, I mean for me public for me transition is a public health strategy yeah and I I wrote a paper with the head of public health England and the head of the sustainable development unit at the NHS a yeah. couple of years ago about about what transition could bring to the NHS and, oh, and right. the kind of overlap between those two things 
Yeah, I mean, you know, like you say, there, you know, there is an epidemic of loneliness. Mm. You know, what kind of economic model produces an epidemic of loneliness? And we're just that that that's like, oh, there's an epidemic of loneliness. You know, yeah. that that's somehow an inevitable byproduct of having economic growth. Well, I'd rather not have the economic growth myself and have a culture where people are really connected. Yeah. And I was, excuse me, I was in um, last night. I gave a talk in uh, in Kentish Town in a pub there. And Transition Kentish Town, they showed a video at the end of work they're doing all across Kentish Town mm. of, uh, of, of, of creating new food gardens mm. and using those gardens as an opportunity for people to come out and be involved in making them. And, uh, and I met so many people who were like, yeah, you know, I, I, had, I had terrible depression and I was addicted to whatever. And, and actually it was, it was gardening that, that got yeah. me into it, you know. Yeah. And, and just, so for me, it's about... Any opportunity we can make to bring people together is 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 so important. Whether we, you know, wh however we do it, whether it's through yeah. food or, or or growing or whatever, you know, the, what, what, when I look forward and I think, what could we create over the next twenty years? I think actually, you could imagine London as the sort of hanging gardens of Babylon, full of food growing and fruit yeah. and fruit growing, and that then really triggering a whole explosion. And we're like we were talking about craft brewing before we started. Mm. You know, that's just the tip of the iceberg for me mm. of a food culture that is linked to place and what is grown in place and seasonal food, and then you know you 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 tie all of that stuff in with public health strategies yeah. and, uh, uh, and you know, the, that, that um, book Johan Hari wrote about depression, about how mm. depression is, is, is a, is a manifestation of disconnection when people are disconnected. Mm. Well, we live in a consumer culture that, that, that requires us to be disconnected because when we're miserable, we buy more stuff, yeah. you know, it's, it's actually, so we're kicking against a lot of that. But for me, fundamentally transition is a public health strategy yeah. and should be, and for me should be funded as a public health strategy and should yeah. be supported as a, as a public health strategy because the work that it does, and I see it in place after place after place, you know, is really supporting the work that the, yeah. the work that you're doing. Like, we, yeah. if you go to Todmorden in Yorkshire, where they have where yeah, the incredible, yeah. the incredible edible stuff, yeah. that the, the the health center in the middle of Todmorden is surrounded by the most beautiful food gardens, growing mm. growing medicinal herbs and fruits and all sorts of stuff. Just absolutely yeah. brilliant. And you know, well, why why limit it to just being around the health center? Why not have yeah. it just absolutely everywhere? In Paris, the mayor of Paris, who's very inspired by transition, they now grow hops up the outside of the opera house and they brew a Paris oh. beer every year. Yeah. You know, there's all of those things that, that we can be doing. Yeah. It's all about, for me, it's all about, it's all about imagination and being able to yeah. look at look at the challenges that we have as opportunities yeah. for really fresh imaginative thinking. Yeah. I think it's a really sort of beautiful and very healthy response to the disconnect. Um, obviously, at the moment, it's, it's, it's a very interesting time to be living because there are, there are a few different, currently in sort of early 2019, there are a few different movements, Extinction Rebellion being one and the Kids for Climate, the other, that are taking a, um, a, a slightly more direct, um, dare I say, slightly more aggressive approach to what perceived government inaction in the threats against the threats we face. Um, how, how do you see? Um, do you see that there's a any connection between transition and, and them, or any mm. kind of marry up somehow? Yeah, I would. I, I would. I would challenge the word aggressive. I, I think it's much more. Uh, uh, would be the word um uh kind of intentional or or 
Is it forceful? Yeah. I think. Well, they say act act like it's true. Is don't they? It's very sort yeah, of yeah. But clear. but 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 it is but it is profoundly non-violent in in, yeah. in its approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's quite interesting in my house. So I so I'm very involved in transition. My wife is very involved in Extinction Rebellion, and she was okay. one of the first people arrested on the bridges in London ah, okay. when they had the big when they Last blocked October. the bridges. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and my son is very involved in the student strikes. Mm. So I've been with him on the student strikes. I find, yeah. I find the student strikes really, really moving. I yeah, think it's yeah. really extraordinary. And I think Greta Thunberg is, has done the most She's amazing, amazing yeah. job. I loved it when the Australian education minister said, you should be in school. And she said, you should be in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> like she's so sassy and like uh-uh. no 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 you don't you don't you go girl yeah i love it it's brilliant um and the extinction rebellion i think you know i i always say to people you know it feels to me like we need we need an imaginative bold beautiful no yeah. and we also need an imaginative bold yeah, and beautiful yeah. yes and transition is <clears throat> Uh, I think the, the the two things fit alongside each other yeah. beautifully. Also, yeah, because I think, I think so. that that within Extinction Rebellion, and there are lots of people who are involved in transition who are also involved yeah. in Extinction Rebellion, and 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 vice versa, and and people step in and out. And I think mm. there is something about when you when you work in that space, which is very uh, kind of. Uh, you know, like have, ha- having a strategy which is based on getting as many people arrested as possible. I loved on the bridges when the organisers going around the police saying, come on, you're not arresting people fast enough here. <laughs> come on, you need to be arresting more people. Um, that carries with it a very high risk of burnout, I think. Yeah. If your main strategy is we want to get as many people arrested as yeah, possible. Yeah. And so I think, you know, being able to step in and out and then step into transition to actually feel like you're involved in something positive yeah. and constructive. That's the healing It's part. the healing bit, yeah. And you yeah. kind of go back and forth. You know, but I think there is also, it's important to recognise that that transition, that for some people, that idea, you go along one day, on a Saturday, you make loads of noise, you get arrested and then you go home again. Mm. A lot of, tra- you know, transition projects take a lot of time. It, yeah. Transition is the long, slow, patient uh, work of laying the foundations mm. for what comes next and sometimes mm. it doesn't work and sometimes everybody yeah. falls out and sometimes you get any funding and sometimes your council won't have anything to do with you and you know uh so so for me the they're like the carrot and the stick yeah and it's interesting now where you're seeing more and more councils uh, whether it's town councils or district councils mm. whatever who are declaring a climate emergency because mm. of extinction rebellion mm. uh, turning the heat un- under them up a little bit mm. and then they're saying so now what do we do? What does that mean? What's a climate emergency? What, what would it look like if we operated as if there was yeah. a climate emergency? But they have no idea because they have very little imagination in those places. Yeah. And actually you've got then the transition movement who declared a climate emergency 12 years ago yeah. and has been acting accordingly. And the permaculture movement which declared a climate emergency 40 something years yeah. ago. You know, and all of those learnings from those movements can then really feed into then what happens. Yeah. I mean, it is. there's obviously a lot of with all this, there's a lot of energy in these movements at the minute, and a lot of the energy is obviously put into this non-violent, this is not what we want. And it's fascinating to me that the transition movement is almost sort of the imaginative yes, I I guess. Mm. Um, People want to do something productive, proactive, and sort of to sort of say what they want to see in life rather than what they don't want. your most recent project hasn't been all about sort of figuring out imagination, mm. I guess. Could you say a bit more about? Yeah, so I've spent the last couple of years writing a book about imagination, 
because I found myself reading a lot of the people who I really admire, people like George Monbiot and yeah. Bill McKibben and people like that, Naomi Klein, who kept saying climate change is a failure of the imagination. Mm. And then moving on to talking about something else. And I found myself going, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. hang on. <laughs> That's interesting. Just one more thing. That's, yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean there's a failure of the imagination? Why is, and if that's the case, why are we having a failure of the imagination? Mm. And if we're having a failure of the imagination, well, what could we do about it? Mm. And what would it look like if we decided to, to reverse that? <clears throat> and um, so I found, and then I found some research by a researcher in the US in 2011, which mm. looked at this thing called the Torrance Test for Creative Thinking, which is the standard okay. creativity test, which has been done <clears throat> back to the 1960s. And uh, her conclusion was that IQ and imagination rose together until the mid-1990s, and then they separated. And IQ kept rising, and imagination went into what she called a steady and persistent oh. decline ever since. And when this research was published, it was on the front page of Newsweek, and there was a whole soul-searching in the US about, what does this mean for economic growth? And what does this mean for <laughs> Disney and Pixar? Yeah. I never heard anyone in the social justice climate change world say, yeah. oh, what does this mean for us, actually? Because mm. fundamentally, if we're about anything, it's about helping people imagine something other than business as usual. Yeah. You know, when Margaret Thatcher said there is no alternative, mm. you know, that, those words still resonate now. There is no alternative. This is it. We, yeah. you know, free market, neoliberal, growth-based economics, that, yeah. there is no alternative. But it's killing us and it's killing everything. You know, during my mm. lifetime, we've lost 70% of all of the creatures we share this planet with. It's, a, it's an apocalypse, you know, mm. during, during my lifetime. Uh, so, 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 so in the book, I set out to look at, well, why is that? Yeah. Why would it be that we, what are the conditions that the imagination needs? You know, the imagination needs us to feel safe. It needs us to f have space and time to give it. Doesn't just happen by accident. It needs us to have our basic needs on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs met. Mm. We need to have shelter. We need to feel cared for. And then the imagination is able to happen. So, uh, so when you look at it in that way, uh, and, and also the, the, a lot of the, 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 the social media technologies that we use, the smartphones that we use, I think are absolutely ruinous to our imagination because that time when we should be daydream, daydreaming, looking out the window, yeah. uh, we're just feeling, trying to scroll to the bottom of Facebook. And with yeah. those deeply addictive... you never get there. you never get there. And they're deeply addictive things designed by very, very smart people whose aim is to keep your eyes on those platforms for as long as possible. Mm. We spend less and less time outside in nature. I think all the great art and poetry that was inspired just by people going for a mm. walk in the woods. We don't go for the walk for walks in the woods yeah. anywhere near as much as we all to when we have a when we become isolated we, we become socially fragmented we're exhausted we're tired we're overworked we're under pressure it's we're creating this perfect storm of conditions that are mm. ruinous to the flourishing of the imagination there's a writer in the u.s who talks about the trump disimagination machine you mm. know that, that 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 we are now we have a a rise in politicians who speak to uh, who speak to the amygdala rather than the hippocampus. Like they speak to the fear center of the brain rather yeah. than the imagination center. We have very, very few I have a dream politicians and lots of you need to be scared shitless yeah. about all these things because they're coming for you kind of people. So, so, so in the book it looks at what are the reasons why this is happening, but then also what would it look like if we were to have a society-wide refiring of the imagination, mm. what can we do as communities? And so I look at lots of examples, some in transition, some not, of really powerful what I call what-if questions, yeah. where communities come together as, and, and say, what if 
we did this and then yeah. that triggers a whole uh, load of different things but mm. also what would it look like if we elected governments and people who said our priority is the rebuilding of the imagination yeah. so every government is elected and says we're going to have a national innovation strategy mm. what would it look like if we elected governments who said we're going to create a national imagination strategy where we're going to say oh, the role of our education system is that mm. people leave at 18 with their imagination honed like a superpower mm. you know if, if the role of architecture and planning and policy were to create spaces for people to be really really imaginative so it's it's a it's a in some ways, a bit like Jamie's school dinners, I guess. You know, how he did the thing of sort of saying, do you know, this is the first generation that will die before its parents and we're feeding our kids shit and that really, really matters. Mm. In the same way, I'm, I'm trying to say, actually, I think our imagination is really in trouble here. Yeah. And, and, if we, and, and if we aren't able, if climate change is fundamentally a, a, a problem of the imagination, I worry that we're like the frog in the boiling pan of water, yeah. where the further we get into climate change and the more anxious we become about it and the more visible its manifestations become. And there's really interesting research as well about as the amount of CO2 rises in the atmosphere, it starts to uh, affect our mental uh, sharpness and our ability to think clearly. They reckon when we get to 550 parts per million, we're nearly at 410 now, yeah. that we'll have lost about 15% of our sort of cognitive uh, abilities, oh you know, and then also the plants that we grow to feed ourselves as the CO2 rises are less able to take up the iron and the zinc, the things yeah. that we need for good brain development, and they just pack on carbohydrates instead. You know, so I, that, that when we are in a situation where we are like the frog in the boiling pan of climate change and the further we get into it, the less able we are to imagine a way out, then it's even more possible that yeah. we move away from the idea of saying we need to have a national innovation strategy mm. to saying we need a national imagination strategy and we need it really, really fast yeah, yeah. Because, because if we can't imagine our way out of this, then we're toast. Yeah. So the time to jump out of the pan is obviously right now yeah, on an individual yeah. level at least. Yeah, totally. And, and, and it's to say for us as individuals as well to say actually my imagination really matters mm. and a lot of people when we start having that conversation say yeah you know i used to be really imaginative mm. and now i just i spend every evening watching netflix i'm just so tired uh uh you know i my i i don't i used to draw i don't have time to draw anymore you know yeah. but actually all those things that we think we don't have time for, of course we have time for. It's just that we're, it's just that we're filling that time with other stuff. Yeah. You know, there was, a, there was a thing I read recently where some guy was saying if, if the average American wanted to read 100 books a year, it would take them 450 hours a year or something. And you'd be like, oh, well, I can't do it. I haven't got time. But we spend 700 hours a, a year on Facebook and 1,600 hours watching the television. Yeah. And then we say we don't have time. We do have time. That time is being stolen by people who want to sort of replace our imagination with theirs. And I think their motivations are often a lot more suspect than our yeah. own. Yeah, definitely. So what if someone listening to this is really moved and has energy but wants to put it into a productive place? Where can they find more about you so and if, this movement? So if they look at transitionnetwork.org on there, there's a thing called Transition Near Me where you can find a map of the country. You put in your postcode. Mm -hmm. It'll tell you what are the groups around where you are, what's going on, who are the people, who are the projects. Um, and there's also on the, on the website there, there's a really, uh, there's a free guide called the essential guide to doing transition, which is everything you need to know in order to get started. Uh, there's some great videos on there. There's lots of stories of, of people doing stuff. So just have a look yeah. around and, and, it, but it, almost certainly there's already stuff happening where you are and um, they'd love you to yeah. come along and see how you can help. You don't have to reinvent the wheel just yet. 
No, exactly. and have a look at some no, other ones. But, but you know, but also at the same time, feel free to invent a cool wheel if if, <laughs> if there's a, if there's a wheel that you can think of. Uh, you know, don't feel constrained in terms yeah. of your wheel designing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, they may well be the most amazing wheel that we've not thought of yet. Yeah, and uh, we're always open to new wheels. <laughs> <laughs> Love the metaphor. <laughs> I have a few last minute, um, uh, a few last questions to ask you. Yeah. Um, starting at the the, the deep and ending up in the strange. Um, Ooh, so strange questions. I like so I, I'd like to ask you what would you, so let's say you could go back in time and speak to your eighteen year old self, eighteen year old Rob <laughs> with his punk hairstyle. Okay. What would you What would you say to him? I'd say. Uh, I'd say that a lot of that music that, 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 that at the time people said was unlistenable nonsense in 35 years time, uh, 32 years time, people will recognize it as the genius that you recognized it for at the time. So don't listen to them. Actually, Nick Cave was a genius, even if nobody thought so at the time. Uh, uh, I think I would, I would just say um, to believe in to believe in the things that, f that feel right to you. Yeah. But also, uh, when, if you get your hair cut, <laughs> you find that people take, people take those ideas a lot more seriously. You've learned I, that since then. I didn't have a shirt before the transition movement started. <laughs> and I found that when I put a shirt on, I was all of a sudden became a lot more credible. <laughs> it's true. Appearances, you know, I, I, appearances you know. do matter. So I, 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 th I think I would say actually, uh, um, put a shirt on, cut your hair, put a shirt on, and have faith in yourself. I'm probably all the my dad said to me at the time. <laughs> that I completely disregarded. So on record, your dad was right all along. Uh, well. Yeah, but also at the same time, actually, the th I guess the thing was that, that 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 doing that is actually the is is actually yeah. You could say cut your hair and and, and get a shirt, <laughs> as in as in give up on all those crazy dreams and ideas you have. Yeah. But actually, for yeah. me, the thing was actually you cut your hair and and you get a shirt, and that's the way to achieve those things. Yeah, you know, hold on to the things that really matter and the things that you really care about, but find the more skillful ways to actually make yeah. them a reality. Yeah, and don't be a f and and. Never, never uh, assume that your ideas are of any less value than anybody else's and that yeah. you have less right to stand up and share those ideas in front of people. Yeah. Absolutely. And that playing in a band is really great uh, training <laughs> for public speaking. So you did play in a band? I did play in a band, oh. yeah. And, uh, and actually that was my first experience of being on a stage and being like, yeah, I quite like it up here. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any songs... Um, that inspire you when you're, if you're ever at a slightly less energy, energetic level than you are now? Oh, loads. Uh, what was the last one? What was the last one? When you had your publication deadline to, uh, to fill. Um, I, the, the, for, for writing this book, there, there is a, there's a website called A Strangely Isolated Place which mm -hmm. I adore, run by a guy called Ryan Griffin. And he has, a, it started out just, a, and they, uh, they do uh, kind of ambient electronic music. Mm. So it's music 
which I didn't know that much about before. But actually, I've, I did really interesting research about actually when, so when I'm writing and I'm trying to concentrate, I can't listen to music that has beats or lyrics because it drags your attention away. Absolutely. But, yeah. beau- but he, they are, they're also a label who produce the most beautiful vinyl editions of anything yeah. I've ever bought. And they have a beautiful design ethos to the whole thing. And they have different people who make mixes for them that are on their website. And uh, for me, it's some of the most beautiful music. But it also allows space for my imagination to work rather than dominating that space. A strange isolated place.com, I think it is. I might check that out. Because I use, um, I'm like you, I need something in the background, but not too much. So I either use Noisily, which is a sort of background. You can pick birdsong or flames burning or wind or rain or thunder all at the same time, which is quite an interesting mix. (laughs) That could take your your brain to some strange places, yeah. Um, no, but I really recommend it. It's beautiful, and, okay. and and if anyone's listening who is a who is a vinyl geek, everything they put out is just the most beautiful thing yeah. you've ever seen. I'll check it out. So, are there any other social um, social media people or websites that you check out when you want a bit of inspiration or to learn something that's useful for your for your life? Uh, there's a there's a website called Hurry Slowly. Uh, dot co, I think it is, mm. which is a, a run by a woman in the US, which is a series of podcasts and interviews with people about how going more slowly makes us more creative. Mm. So she talks to different designers and neuroscientists and yeah, people. Yeah. I find a lot of inspiration on there. Uh, there's a website called resilience.org, which is a really good um, uh, sort of digest of interesting stuff about mm. sustainability and climate change and stuff like that. <coughs> um, uh, I have one more question. Yeah, and then and then, but then lots of other things I just come across, I suppose. Okay. Well, anything else you can let me know, and I can put it in the show notes later yeah, on. Yeah, sure, thanks. Um, so, last question. This is the strange. This is a strange one. one. Okay, I'm braced. It's a thought that's been occurring to me for a while. Um, so, this is imagination for you. So, imagine that we take your brain and we somehow clone it and put that brain into every single person all over the world. God, what a horrific concept! What would happen? Um, I think. <laughs> For most people, the world would die, but I'm interested in in what would happen. How would it become a dystopia? How would it become a dystopia? Uh, well, I think economic growth would grind to a halt because it would be a, 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 a world in which people were just quite happy pottering around on their bicycles and listening to records at home. Uh, I think probably the... Um, the national output of homegrown food would increase quite substantially. Uh, uh, I suspect the advertising industry would die overnight. Uh, um, It would be, uh, I think it would be quite a sort of chilled place, quite (laughs) purposeful maybe. It would be a place that would value quiet and downtime and family time. I think a lot more people would have meals together families would sort of sit together well they're all you Rob so they probably all would I know they'd all have a quite a nice time <laughs> although they might end up being uh, they'd also want to get away from themselves <laughs> each other <laughs> you know I think I quite like just sort of quiet time as well so yeah it would be sociable sometimes and would also be quite antisocial at other times probably yeah although the idea that actually my wife would be my wife but with my brain inside is, is really quite a nightmare dystopian vision that you've put in my head at least you'd understand her uh, I understand her already oh. <laughs> <laughs> I 
least I think I do. <laughs> yeah, good question. I'll, yeah. Let, I'll let you ponder that one more. Yeah, I wonder what other people have said. Oh, it would be a civil war by day um, three. Mine would, yeah. Everyone would just be in the in in the clouds, sort of dreaming of things way too much and not end up actually doing stuff. But it'll be very healthy. But it'll be very healthy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. something <laughs> as the world burns. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Thanks Thank so you. much, Rob. It's been a pleasure. It's Thank been you a very much. Pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening today. If you want to hear more about today's guests, check out the show notes at thegreenpill.org. And tune in next time for Clover Hogan. She's 20 years old and is truly a woman on a mission. The Green Pill is edited by Kazra Ferrugia, produced by James Bishop and is part of the One Fine Play podcast network. You can find me on Dr. Chris Newman on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, see ya. See ya.